Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Lip Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. podcast loves gooder sunglasses they're made in recklessly fun colors and come in styles that actually look good my favorite is flamingos on a booze cruise they have translucent pink frames and teal lenses that add a pop of color to all my workout clothes gooder sunglasses are no slip no bounce and polarized i raced in a pair of gooders at the u.s olympic marathon trials earlier this year gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing nothing at all Gooder sunglasses start at only $25 a pair, so no discounts are needed when they're already the most affordable performance shades on the planet. Go to gooder.com forward slash feisty. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Check out the Live Feisty curated collection or pick up your own favorites. Look good, run Gooder. Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited for our new 2020 partnership with Orca Wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMEN15. This is meant to be. My first wetsuit I raced in was an Orca wetsuit actually, so I already know I like them. I've been trying out their swim run wetsuit Soon I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. Hi Haley, how's it going? Are you coming off of like a post-race high right now? What's Are you feeling recovered? How's life? Alyssa, I, I am riding a little bit of a post-race high. So if anyone doesn't know, I did race the Ironman virtual race this past weekend. I did the three kilometer run and the 40 kilometer bike. I gave a very, very thorough recap of that race in this week's mini episode. So if you haven't listened to that and you want to hear all the juicy details about virtual racing, definitely listen. But I would say we're a couple days post race. I'm riding a little bit of a high. I definitely had a buzz afterwards. Like I was ready to like eat all the things and, um, and you know, just 
chat with people and celebrate afterwards, <laughs> just like I would at a regular race. But, um, and then the fatigue set in. <laughs> so I had a pretty, I was pretty tired on, uh, I guess Sunday and Monday. Now where I'm talking to you on Tuesday, I'm starting to feel a little better and getting back at it. But I I've had a couple of people ask me if I would do it again. And I think my answer is yes. I, um, you know, a couple of days later, I mean, immediately after I probably would have said no, but that's how you feel after most real races too, right? Most in-person races. It's like never doing that again. And then you give yourself a couple of days or a couple of hours and you're like, yeah, I would do it again. And I think logistically it would be easier the second time. There just wouldn't be as many unknowns with the electronics and the platform and my setup. And, um, yeah, I can, I can see where experience can help in virtual racing, just like in real life. But how are you doing? Well, Haley, so I have, I still have like a million questions and I have to be honest that I have had a jam packed couple days. So I know you gave all the juicy details in the mini episode that was released this week. Is there, is there anything left to say, I guess, that you haven't said in that, that you would you choose to add in here before we talk about anything else? And I'll be catching up on that tomorrow. I don't think there's much to add except that Mostly I came away with a deep appreciation for, for how hard virtual racing is. It is very hard and 40 kilometers of riding on a bike, or if you're riding, I guess, 90 kilometers, if you're doing the 70.3 distance, it is really hard. And I have a new appreciation for the age groupers who do the 3k run, the 40k bike, and then the 10k run all within 12 hours. And they schedule all of that there on their own. I think that's hugely impressive. And if they are doing the whole series where they do that four weeks in a row to get, try to get a 70.3 world championship slot, that is so admirable because I was exhausted after one weekend of that. And I can only imagine doing four in a row. Definitely, definitely championship slot worthy. So hats off to, uh, to all the people who are racing this weekend. I'm not sure which pros are racing this weekend. I, uh, I, I don't know if that's been announced, but I'm, I will probably tune in with a, a new appreciation. And I have another new appreciation for Dee Dee Griesbauer and Michael Lovato because I kind of now see what they're dealing with, like the live commentating where you have no idea what's going to happen. And you're dealing with these, like the technological limitations of Haley Chura's Wi-Fi and Haley Chura's Skype in Bozeman, Montana, and you have to make content. And that is quite difficult, as you know, Alyssa, because uh, you also deal with the limitations of Haley Chura's <laughs> Wi-Fi at times. Yeah, if anyone can ever get Bozeman some more bandwidth, that would be like greatly appreciated by the Live Feisty brand, I think. But uh, actually, I feel like today it's it's like on a roll. So we, we don't want to touch anything with the Bozeman interwebs right now. Um, things are going well. But no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's not just Haley Tura, right? It's like Meredith Kessler's internet and her child and like, you know, Rinny's person unplugging the thing and like all of these things, right? Like they have to like deal with these as they all come up. And so I can see how that's a little bit, you know, I mean, I'll give them a little bit harder than what we do every week, Haley. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's impressive what we're seeing through this pandemic. I think, the ways we can use technology. And, and I include us in that. I think we've done a really good job of, of getting unique voices on the podcast and continuing to find these stories, even when we can't necessarily go to our traditional uh, who raced last weekend uh, kind of format. So I, I give hats off to us too. pat on the back, whatever, whatever like cliche we want to use today. Um, I'll give you a virtual air high five through Skype. 
<laughs> but how are you doing? Where are you? Because I know you have a fancy background. No one can see this right now, but Alyssa like showed up on Skype today with this, like she's like in a skyscraper. It looks like in the middle of New York city, but I don't believe that's where you are right now. So tell me, where are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not in Brooklyn right now. Um, but I'm in a room in like a rented Airbnb in uh, Keene Valley in the Adirondack. So I had planned this couple weeks uh, before COVID happened and was going to be up here to train and do some like scouting for a future adventure in the Adirondacks in the High Peaks region and um, stay through Ironman Lake Placid because I had a slew of athletes racing. So I was going to get to spectate everyone racing Ironman. It was going to be a fun-filled training like event weekend weeks, I guess. And then obviously Lake Placid isn't happening. COVID hit. And like, I wasn't even sure if this would be possible because my parents were coming uh, with me to help me with Ramona and to just like help me shuttle with some of the training stuff I wanted to do and things like that. And I hadn't seen my parents since COVID hit. So um, we had to make like a lot of, you know, we wanted to do this safely. We wanted to still make it happen if it was able to happen safely. So because I have definitely had the higher like risk of exposure, um, I did get a COVID test on Saturday. So a couple days before I was leaving, I got tested. Um, the, the results have been backlogged, so I should hopefully know tomorrow. But until then, I'm wearing a mask. I'm actually often wearing a mask and a face shield around my parents um, whenever we're indoors or like in the car or something because I'm like super paranoid and I got face shields and I like actually really like <laughs> the like safety measures. It feels like around your face. Like I like having my eyes like not exposed, I guess, to all of the germs that are in the air and things like that. I, I would like if I had to go on a plane right now, 100% I'd be wearing a mask and a face shield. Like you do. I know you're still at risk, but it's like, you do feel much safer than just with a mask on with that. Um, and then we also, we brought up like two weeks of food with us. Um, so we are basically like very self-sufficient here, which is really nice. And, um, I, yeah, I've been able to get out. I'm doing a lot during the week on, in the more crowded places so that I can avoid crowds and things like that. So I'm hopefully taking precautions that people will agree is allowing me to make this like a safe and good trip still. Um, and fingers crossed that I get the test results back soon, but, um, we'll see. Hey, Haley, have you taken a COVID test yet? No, I want to ask, what was it like? Did it, was it like tickling your brain? I mean, it looks pretty painful. Yeah. So I guess the woman told me that there's like two types of tests. That's like awful. And then like uncomfortable. And I got the uncomfortable version. So it really wasn't bad. I mean, in the grand scheme of inflicting pain on yourself, I feel like it would have to be pretty bad for me to be like, that was really bad. So, but you basically just take a Q-tip and I, I did it myself. It was like a self-administered test. She tells you like where to put your fingers on the Q-tip essentially. And then you stick it back up your nose, but really it's like perpendicular to your face because she explained like if you stick it up, you would just hit cartilage and then like your nose bleeds and it's like bad, right? So the canal or like the hole actually is just like straight back. So you actually like <laughs> put the Q-tip in, like you, she told me to basically like hit my lip with the Q-tip and then just like go up into my nose and then eventually it does. It just like finds this hole. Like you could totally do it with a Q-tip. I'm not recommending people do this at home, but it was 
it was crazy because then all of a sudden like it's sliding out sliding up and then it like goes in the hole and you're like whoa like it actually found the hole and it's like in there and then you just swirl it around swirl it around and then you take it out and you do the same thing in the other nostril and then you drop that into this like tube and then you seal that and then you put it in the bag and then you put it into the drop box so um yeah and now you wait but it was that version was like nothing to be afraid of I watched so many YouTube videos of it happening before I went of course and like freaked myself out a million times over and it was like way better than any video that I saw that's very interesting and I I do like that was a very just good description I'm like feeling it <laughs> like I have a little bit of like uncomfortableness like picturing this and like thinking about like my nasal cavity I guess Yes. And I, I, I'll take your word on it. I'm not going to try it anytime soon unless I need to, but, um, was it just a drive through? Like, did you just drive up? Is that the kind of, so I actually did, center? um, I went to the drive through one in town on like the Thursday and they actually ran out of tests. So I didn't get within 20 minutes or whatever. They were like all gone. So I didn't get one there, but, um, the CVS in town has like, you can sign up for an appointment and just drive through at that appointment time. And, I will say I got to the window and there was like a 45 minute delay um, from my appointment time, like waiting for the drive through. And the woman at the drive through was like, I'm sorry. She's like, they let us schedule appointments at 10 minute intervals, but it takes 15 minutes to give a test. <laughs> so she's like, so, and she's like, we've told CVS corporate and like, they're not doing anything. So if you do go through CVS, maybe just keep that in mind. But like I was in line and I, I was just like paying attention. I was like, oh, that one took 15 minutes. That one took 13 minutes. So I was like, okay, it's like moving. You just have to wait for the test to happen. Right. So, um, but that was pretty easy. Um, and I know like some Walgreens and stuff are doing them. I think it depends a lot on where you live and the availability and stuff like that. Well, I have my fingers crossed that, that you will get a negative result back soon. And hopefully that will relieve some of that stress hanging out around your parents and or at least you can still wear the face shield but then just wear it as like a fashion accessory I personally <laughs> I do love the like the face mask good or sunglasses airpods hat look I think it is like I feel like I am in like a little cocoon when I'm walking around with cowboy and it's like so I'm a you know there are times I love talking, obviously. That's why I'm on this podcast. I am not afraid to like chat with people, but there are also times when I am just like, oh, leave me alone. I just, you know, just want to get into this grocery store and get out without necessarily like interacting with any humans. And that outfit does the trick. What's a level up from a face shield wearing goggles? <laughs> that would be, you know, if you decide to like wear your oh, goggles around the Airbnb to keep your parents safe. I mean, that's like next level. <laughs> um, Haley, have you been wearing your form swim goggles at all lately? Not around town, but, um, <laughs> I'm sure you could, like you said, I mean, they, they probably would keep you pretty safe. Um, I, I, I was thinking about ways to wear them in open water. I think a lot of people do have access to open water right now. My open water here is a little bit cold, so I haven't tested this out yet, but when I'm swimming in open water, like the main metric I want is time. I, when I'm writing workouts for my athletes, when I'm writing open water workouts, we do them all by time because water conditions, open water conditions can vary so much. So it's hard to do something based on distance, unless you had like buoys and a whole mapped out distance route, which some people have, but more frequently it's kind of like jump in and go. So I had this idea for the form swim goggles and 
um, you know, to make it, to just have time, keep it simple, just have time showing in the eye gasket. And I, I was like a workout that I would love to do in open water is just a 30 minute swim. Right. And so I would do the first 10 minutes of warm up, So you can see those 10 minutes ticking away in your goggle, in your eye ca- gasket. And then, um, I love like doing progressions. I love progressions on the run. I love progressions swimming. So we would do six minute progressions. So you do like two minutes steady, two minutes moderate, and then two minutes strong and repeat that three times. So three times, six minutes, 18 minutes, plus your 10 minute warm up. You're at 28 minutes, cool down for two minutes easy. And your 30 minute open water swim is complete. Doesn't that sound like a really, couldn't you just do that like early one morning? Maybe you'll do it while you're up in the, in the Adirondacks. Is there any good open water swimming up there? There is. So there's Mirror Lake, obviously, which is for Ironman Lake Placid. You can go into, but then there's also Chapel Pond, which is um, here in Keene. And that's, I don't know how long across it is, but it's quite, quite big. And I, I hear it's nice and chilly, which I think I would appreciate this right now. Um, just having like a nice, cool compression water, but maybe I will. I'll give that Haley minute, Haley Chura 30 minute progression, six minute progression swim. I do that. I still do your, I think we talked about it on the podcast. This is how it even came up. Your bike workout you gave like probably a year or two ago now where the 45 seconders, that's like a staple I use. So maybe this will become an open water staple for me. I love it. And definitely wear your form swim goggles. So you don't have to look down at a watch. You can just see the time there right in front of you because time does seem to move a little slower. I feel like sometimes when you're in open water, because you're like, of course it's been six minutes and you look down and it's been like six seconds. So having that clock right in front of you is going to help you with those pace paces. And if you do need some form swim goggles, check out formswim.com. They are a sponsor of the iron Woman podcast and we very much appreciate their support. So you can use them in the pool as well, but right now who wants to be in a pool when you can get out in open water? Haley, we had a mailbag question come in that I wanted to take out of the mailbag. And for our listeners, you can send us your questions about triathlon or life or otherwise, or send us you playing musical instruments at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't understand the last reference of the musical instruments, you can probably listen to like any of the past handful of episodes. And we, we do talk about that. And so um, you, you got to catch up on those episodes. So go back and listen. But Haley, today's mailbag question comes in from Chris, and Chris wants to know about during a long ultra event, like a hundred miler, is it okay, or do people listen to music? Do we have, and if we do, do we have multiple sources, or have the crew recharge them at aid stations? What about multi-day events? So Chris, this is a great question. And this is a great question for Alyssa too, because (laughs) Alyssa does the multi-day events and hundred milers. I haven't quite gotten there yet. I'll have opinions, but I want to hear what Alyssa has to say first. So one of the saddest days was the day that the iPod shuffle was no longer being released because the iPod shuffle was the best. It actually had a quite long battery life. It was good for something like a hundred miler where, you know, in my opinion, you don't want to start out listening to music. You want to like try and get through I mean, ideally the first half, right? Before really breaking into the music. And it should be used in like the doldrums of the 100 miler. And so maybe it's like a 20 mile segment or something. And so the shuffle though would last for sure that 20 miles. But most things I feel like nowadays too would also last. So 
people definitely, well, I guess to answer your initial question, during a long ultra event, yes, absolutely people are listening to music. I think technically you might want to just make sure it's like, okay, I think trail events I've never seen, unless it's like a really big trail event, I've never really seen rules against like headphones and music. So I see it quite a lot that people are listening to music because you're just on your own so much, I think, there. Um, and so the iPod shuffle, if you still have one, or if you have access to one, that is like the best because it's just so lightweight. You can throw it in your pack and keep it without having to like second, second thought about weight that you're carrying this whole thing around for 60 miles, blah, blah, blah. Like great, great thing to use nowadays that if you have like certain garments, garments actually will put, you can put podcasts and music onto those. And those can connect Bluetooth to like a pair of headphones or something like that. And it does drain your battery a little bit more, um, for sure. So you'd want to do some testing to see like what the battery life would be. Um, and I'm assuming you would want your, to keep your watch through like as much as you possibly can. But again, something for a hundred miler, maybe you do have two watches and you're rotating. And in which case, absolutely have your crew plug it in, in between them seeing you or something like that. Um, multi-day events. I, I did bring my iPod shuffle actually to the, the six day stage race I did in the fall. Um, and I only used it like two times. And, you know, for me it was because a lot of the times I was able to run with people and I just felt like I didn't need music when I had a, a human near me. Um, but it was nice to have, again, it weighs nothing. So it was like not even a question about taking it. Um, but if you did have something where like you were using a phone or a watch or something like that for music or like, I guess a real iPod, do people still have those? But, um, then you would have to think about charging it. And I know there was at least a couple people at that multi-day event who did carry like solar chargers with them, um, to be able to charge devices like that. So, you know, there are options. It's definitely not frowned upon. So if you like music and you like ultra events, then the two definitely can coincide. So hopefully... I answered that question and Haley, it sounds like Chris might be interested in, in running something longer. And I think that you might be partaking in some event, uh, some way of that because you coach Chris. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, we, we did recognize your name, Chris. Alyssa could check the mailbag, but she was like, who is this? And I was like, Chris, Chris is my athlete. So yeah, Chris has actually done a, he just did a solo. He, he's done quite a few virtual races, but he, um, I, I have to like look at his, but he did a 50 K and a 50 miler. Whoa. Virtual. Like virtual. Like wow. That's like awesome. he was training for these races, but then they got canceled. And yep. so he ended up running loops like around his home, basically like not small, loops, right. like decent size, but he set up like an aid station for himself. And I think his kids even came out and helped out and cheered. So, and he did, he has done both. And so if you can do that, I feel like like you can do pretty much anything. I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I haven't done ultras. I haven't really done the hundred milers or the multi-stage races, but I feel like the virtual 50 miler has to give you some like street cred, right? Oh, for sure. Anyone who chooses to just like run that distance anyway, when the race is canceled has a lot of street credit for sure. So good work, Chris. Thank you for sending in your question. And again, to our listeners, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send in your own mailbag question.
And Alyssa, we have a great interview. I know that you are very, very excited about this one. I am very excited about this one. To introduce our guests today, I would like to start by saying that at the 2016 Paralympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Americans Alyssa Seeley and Haley Dans won the gold and silver medals in paratriathlon. Rio marked the first time paratriathlon was ever a part of the Paralympic Games. Both women are above the knee amputees who compete in the PT2 category of paratriathlon. And during normal times, they usually live and train together at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. But obviously, current times are not normal. The Tokyo Paralympics have been postponed to the summer of 2021. Haley just rode her bike across Colorado. And Alyssa is making a brave stand by letting us know the population at risk for the coronavirus includes Paralympic gold medalists. Both women tell us how they're handling the uncertainty around the Paralympic Games. And we talk about the recent name and funding changes of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and how these changes are great steps toward equality for Paralympians. This is an interview that Alyssa and I have, Alyssa Gadeski and I have been really looking forward to for obvious reasons. So please stay tuned because Alyssa and Haley talk to Alyssa and Haley right after the break. Alyssa, what do popsicles, jello, and slushies all have in common? Hmm, they all taste like summer? Yes, but also they can all be made with noon hydration sport tabs. I have to say it seems like the perfect way to fully embrace summer while staying properly hydrated. Agreed. If you want to make your own noon popsicles, jello, or slushies, head to noonlife.com and use the code LIVEFEISTY. That's one word with a capital L and a capital F to get 30% off your order. Also check out Noon's new podium series for pre-workout prime, during workout endurance, and post-workout recover products. That's code LIVEFEISTY at NoonLife.com for 30% off. And be sure to let us know about all your summertime tasty Noon Hydration creations. Iron Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens. You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app, because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Welcome, Alyssa Seeley and Haley Dans to the Iron Woman podcast. We're going to start this episode a little different since with four voices and only two names, this could get a little challenging, but we know the people on this call and in our audience aren't the type of people who easily back down from a challenge. So to help our listeners recognize your voices, could you each tell us your name and where you are in the world right now? Uh, Alyssa Seeley, let's start with you. Hi, everyone. I'm Alyssa Steely. I'm currently training in Southern California. Uh, Haley Dans, where are you? Hey, guys. I'm Haley Dans. I'm in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. All right. And so, Haley, we are talking to you just about a week after you participated in the 
Colorado over COVID ride, a 483-mile relay of Olympic and Paralympic hopefuls riding across the state of Colorado in a single day while also raising more than $22,000 for the USA Triathlon Foundation and the Care and Share Food Bank. What did you think of the ride? Oh, man, it was it was quite the experience. Uh, you know, it was just so different from what we typically do as, as Paralympic triathletes. Um, it was a, a 24-hour endeavor, so it involved being up for a really long time, a lot of sleep de- deprivation. It was incredibly rewarding, uh, you know, just being able to do something for the greater community and really just to kind of have something to train for and to work towards during this pandemic. Now, I think one of the biggest challenges as athletes who are so goal-driven and goal-oriented uh, was just kind of not having something to really work towards. And so you know, this ride really kind of just gave us an outlet to, you know, direct our training while also doing some good in the, in the greater community. Haley, we followed your progress on social media and one of the posts showed the entire team kneeling on the steps of what I believe was the Colorado Springs City Hall building for eight minutes and 46 seconds to show your support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Why was it important to include this as part of your ride? Well, you know, when we kind of originally came up with this idea for the ride, um, you know, it's kind of at the height of uh, the pandemic. And, you know, we really just wanted to make a difference for people who had been financially impacted by the pandemic. And then, you know, kind of right as we launched uh, and went live with the fundraising, you know, the murder of George Floyd happened. And, you know, we saw the Black Lives Matter protests start to break out around the country. And, you know, I think just as a team, we were, we were really moved by, you know, everything that was happening there. And we felt very strongly about wanting to show our support for, for that movement and for everything that was going on. Um, you know, of course, we'd already launched our fundraiser. Getting into the logistics of how we could, you know, really show that support uh, got kind of tricky. But our coach came up with what I thought was a really great idea of stopping in front of City Hall and, you know, just kind of pausing everything that we were doing to really just pay our respects. I will say it was absolutely the most emotional part of the ride uh, for many reasons. You know, I think that it was it, it was a really cool thing, I think, for us to be able to do. Um, and and it, it meant a lot for me personally to be able to you know, just kind of take that moment. Alyssa, you were originally planning to join the ride, but ultimately weren't able to. Can you tell us about that decision? Yeah. So I've always wanted to do a ride like that. I was really stoked when the idea came up to be able to be a part of that. But as the details started panning out, it became very clear that it wasn't going to be safe for me. I'm in the high risk population for the coronavirus. And I mean, it's changed my life significantly, being so at risk um, and being immunocompromised, putting a huge number, I guess it's not a huge number, but now in coronavirus days, a huge number of people in one car, um, sweaty people, athletes, not being able to social distance, not having the appropriate face coverings and everything like that. It just wasn't safe for me to do. Um, And it appeared that there was no way we could come to an agreement on how to make it safe for me to participate. So I ultimately was forced to choose not to participate and stay home instead. Alyssa, we're really thankful that you're willing to speak out about how the coronavirus is affecting you because we think a common belief is that 
this disease mostly affects older people or out of shape people and that young and fit people don't need to worry as much. But here you are, 31 years old, you know, a gold medalist, a three-time world champion, you have an SB and you're at risk. So, you know, how do you kind of want to change that narrative or, you know, does that come up like a lot in your daily life where you're kind of making people more aware that it isn't just the older out of shape population that has to be really, really careful. Um, I have been trying to make people very aware that their choices put others at risk. Unfortunately, it's been to the dismay of many um, and I've received criticism for it. But at the end of the day, when you look at the statistics, you and anybody around me has a bigger plays a bigger role in protecting me than I can protect myself. And I'm going to do, obviously, I'm going to do anything possible to protect myself. But the most I can do is protect myself by 30 to 40% um, by having a mask if I'm around somebody that happens to have the virus and they don't know it. Whereas that individual adds another almost <laughs> 60 to 70% to that, bringing the risk down to 1% of being affected. And the biggest thing I want people to realize is their decisions play the biggest role in the decisions I have to make at this time. That part, it's hard um, because, you know, it's like if my training group decide to go to a barbecue on Sunday and then show up for swim practice on Monday, then I have to choose not to show up. And it's frustrating and it's hard and it's disheartening because I'm an athlete. I just want to train. And I don't think people like truly understand how much those decisions matter to other people. And we don't really know why people are being infected and why some healthy people get it. Why, you know, and then obviously we we're starting to understand the more at risk population, but I just wish honestly, everybody cared a little more and could show a little more compassion. It's been a very sad few months living as somebody who is at high risk. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I will echo that care and compassion for others that we do need to be sure we are putting into our daily lives. You both typically live and train at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. You are teammates and close competitors. In Rio in 2016, Alyssa won the gold medal and Haley won silver at last year's Tokyo test event, which became a duathlon due to high E. coli levels in the water. Haley took the win. What is it like to train with one of your biggest competitors nearly every day? I mean, it's certainly a really unique opportunity. And I think we've been training together for about two years now in Colorado Springs. And I think I can speak for both of us when I say that when we first embarked on this, we kind of had our hesitations. You know, neither of us had really trained with our competitor so closely and so frequently before. We both went into it with this kind of unspoken understanding that we were going to bring out the best in each other and really support each other while still pursuing our own individual goals. You know, I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned through the whole process of being able to train with Alyssa is that you, know, you can have both. You can want the best for yourself and, and really pursue your own excellence while also supporting other women and other women that you're competing against. And that actually, you know, being able to support each other 
is what's going to elevate you yourself. You know, we have a really great training dynamic. You know, I won't lie, like certain days are, are certainly harder than others. And yeah, there are certain days where just kind of the the stress of being around the person that you're competing against, uh, it does become a lot. But I think that the good days certainly outnumber uh, the more challenging ones. And, you know, I know that in the end, being able to train with Alyssa has made me, made me much, much better. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful for that. I mean, I agree with everything Haley said. The biggest benefit to this relationship was that we both went into it with open minds and willing and ready to improve um, and open communication. Like we knew that there could definitely be times that were going to be challenging and how, how we would find that balance was really unknown. But I think most days, honestly, I forget that I'm training with a competitor because we are both so focused on our goals and focused on making the entire team better. And by focusing on the team, we automatically start to accomplish more and more. And we both went into it with different strengths. So we knew we could help each other with each other's weaknesses. And it's just turned out to be a a good relationship. We mentioned the 2016 Rio Paralympics, and those were the first games ever to include paratriathlon. Alyssa, what did it feel like to cross that finish line and win that inaugural gold medal? Oh, man. Um, Crossing the finish line was incredible. 90 plus degrees, 90 plus percent humidity. And as I was running down the finish chute, my brother's running alongside the barricade and pushing through crowds just screaming at the top of his lungs. And at that point, when I knew that I was going to win, chills just went like up and down my entire body, um, no matter how hot it was. It was amazing. But being able to turn around and welcome your teammate across the line too, knowing that we both just accomplished huge goals added another level to it. What about it being that first paratriathlon Paralympics ever? Did that add anything to the experience? You know, at the time it's, it didn't. And that has since changed. Um, I used to always say, like, just because you're the first doesn't mean you're the best. And I've always wanted to be one of the best of all time. And more so recently, I have realized and learned that being the first, although it may not 40, 50 years from now, it may not mean you were the best ever. It's so important because you're, you're the the foundation, you're the layer and the level of starting the sport and the progress and everything we accomplish is only laying that foundation so future generations can come in and do better and be stronger and push the boundaries. And that's what sport is. And so to be that first one, to be the level that everybody gets to build off is um, really incredible. And it's taken me a few years to realize that, but I do now. Do you think it was just like growing up a little bit maturity? Was it like through coming on podcasts with Haley and Alyssa and like talking through it with people kind of, was it, you know, mental training that you've done through time or just kind of as you've seen the sport start growing over the past few years that kind of became more clear? Um, I think just as I've seen the sport grow over the over a few years and seen in other ways how being a first kind of really builds that legacy and give children somebody to look up to and something to look forward to. And yeah. Haley, you crossed the line less than a minute later to win the silver medal. What was that moment like for you? Oh man. Uh, it, it was pretty surreal for sure. You know, the games are just something that you, you look forward to and you plan for, for so many years so that when 
it actually comes around, you know, it is, it's kind of just surreal. I mean, I know at that point in time, I was, I was very intentional about just really trying to appreciate the experience and um, as much as possible in distance racing, enjoy the moment. It was wild in the sense that like, I couldn't believe that this moment that I'd been preparing for for so long was finally happening. But I also feel like I was able to fully appreciate just every single aspect of, of that moment and realize that it was kind of the culmination of this five-year journey that had, you know, taken me so many cool places and had introduced me to so many great people. So I feel like I was kind of, all of that was kind of what I felt when I crossed the finish line. And like Alyssa said, just being able to share that with people that I had gone through that journey with and, you know, just really respect um, and like as, as friends and competitors, it made it all the more special. What about that podium ceremony with three American flags, the two of you joined by Melissa Stockwell and with the bronze medal, that had to have been pretty special. You don't see that very often. No, I mean, it was, it was incredible. There's some amazing photos that came out of that medal ceremony. And, you know, I don't think I've ever seen such genuine smiles on a podium before. Like we were all just so happy to be up there and to be there with each other. And, and share that moment together. It was pretty special. Uh, and I'd actually like to kind of piggyback off of something that Alyssa said with just kind of being the first at, at that inaugural Games. You know, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of through my career has just been being able to be a part of that first group of, of character athletes and really set the culture for our program. You know, I think that we have a really unique culture in sport. Um, in that we work super hard and we're very goal-oriented, but we have more fun than any team that I know. And I feel like we're really good about, you know, just being able to pause and appreciate how lucky we are and be grateful for, for the experiences that this sport gives us. You know, I think that those of us who really pioneered the sport um, going into Rio – you know, we were we were pretty intentional about setting that culture, and it's lasted even through changes in athletes and, and staff. And so I kind of see that as the legacy that we've been able to leave in the sport. And, you know, it, it's something that I am really proud of because I think that it's a really, really healthy team culture. And I think having the three Americans on the podium like that would speak to what you're saying, that the culture was part of leading the three of you to that kind of success. That's not something we see a lot of, right? So there had to be something special there. And we, we wanted to ask you, uh, because the Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games have been postponed to 2021, and neither of you have officially qualified for the Games yet. So how are you handling the uncertainty? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a roller coaster for sure. Um, I mean, I think when the news first came out, it was like, well, obviously, there was no other choice. We needed to do what was best for public health, and we needed to do what was best for the athletes, the spectators, and everything like that. It, it was very clear there was no way a Games could go on this summer. As time has gone on, and we're getting kind of closer, and, like, the memories of Rio are popping up, and, it, you know, I think today, actually, on Facebook, the team announcement was made four years ago, and <laughs> so now it's Aww. kind of, it's a, it's a little more real, for sure. But at the same time, you know, we're athletes, we're used to setbacks, we're used to changes, we're, 
we're used to that and you know we control what we can control and we very quickly turned our sights to the future and the dream doesn't change uh the goals don't change the work that is put in doesn't change we just have an extra 365 days and so it's definitely definitely changed some things and um but as a whole it's really just kind of finding your footing again and staying in the right frame of mind and knowing that we have another year to push but before we have a chance yeah, I would agree that it's gotten a little bit more challenging as we've gone along. You know, I think when the announcement was first made, to Melissa's point, it was it was the only option. And so, like, everyone was very on board with, with it. It's still on. It's just, I think what's become more challenging is that, you know, when it first happened, I still felt, like, super motivated to, you know, keep training. And, you know, I thought, it's fine. Like, we're just going to push everything back. I don't need a goal race in the immediate future to train for. Um, so I'm just going to keep, keep trucking along. And then I got to the point where I realized that you just can't really sustain that much training for that long. And so now what's hard is, you know, staying engaged with training and, you know, keeping up a level of fitness so that when we are ready to kind of move towards the demands of competition, I'm ready to do it. But at the same time, to not be going so hard now that I'm going to be burnt out when, you know, the demands really do pick up again. And so it's a really fine line. And um, I think just the uncertainty of, of the immediate future is, is making that line really tricky to walk. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of the hand that we've been dealt. And I think we're all doing a good job of just kind of like making the best of it and you know, being focused on, on that long-term goal while being very flexible and a little bit more generous with ourselves kind of in the, in the interim. In 2019, the U.S. Olympic Committee formally changed its name to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And just last week on June 23rd, we celebrated Olympic and Paralympic Day, marking the first time the day was celebrated with the specific inclusion of Paralympians. Alyssa, you posted a photo of yourself on the day with the hashtag progress alert. What do these name changes mean to you? And are you surprised it's taken this long? The biggest thing that the name change does is provide inclusion and bring the visibility to the Paralympic Games. When Paralympic sport was first introduced to me um, after my disability, I had never heard of it. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know it was a thing. And most everybody in our country still doesn't know it's a thing. And very often times we're confused with the Special Olympics, although, you know, it's the Special Olympics is an amazing organization and does so many amazing things, bringing sport to those with developmental disabilities. We are a very different organization. You know, we are elite level athletes. We're competing at the highest and biggest events in the world. And people had no idea it even existed. By including Paralympic in the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and in Olympic and Paralympic Day, one, it starts to bring those with disabilities into the forefront of media. A lot of times people with disabilities are not treated as equals in the U.S. And this gives us a chance to kind of make a name and show the world what individuals with disabilities are capable of. 
I'm not surprised it took until 2019 for this to happen. It's unfortunate it took until 2019 for it to happen. But as athletes and as a movement, we've been fighting for it for a long time. And and there just was always pushback from one place or another. And I don't think people realize the significance of it or the importance of it. You know, and it's like a lot of times it was, why change something that's been this way forever? And isn't that that kind of what most of the pushback is to change is like just the fact that we're trying to change. So I'm not surprised it took this long for the change to happen. I'm actually surprised it happened as soon as it did, which I don't know, some may say that's like a pessimistic view, but we're not a country that, you know, makes fast progress. And so I'll, you know, any little bit that we can get is, is good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the other really incredible milestone that took place in the last couple of years for the Paralympic movement was equalizing uh, medal payout for Paralympians. Um, in the past, we received a fraction of what our Olympic counterparts made, and was it two years ago? Uh, they they equalized the payments, and you know I think that that was also an incredible step forward uh, because it just showed that you know the the USOPC does value its Paralympians as much as its Olympians. I think that in the past we kind of felt like second class athletes. And that gesture really kind of showed us that people understood the work that we put in. They understood that we train and work and accomplish just as much as our Olympic counterparts and that they were willing to reward us for that. I read that it was like a 400% increase to get to equality, which is crazy. Like, I don't think that people realize that when they watch you cross that finish line in Rio, that you're getting 25% of what Gwen Jorgensen was getting, even though you're both gold medalists. So in the case of Alyssa or, um, you know, and, and so I think that that is a really important topic. I'm so glad you brought it up. Alyssa, did you have anything to add to, to that part, the prize money? Cause it's one thing, one thing to have equal names and equal, uh, days, but getting this tangible and potentially life and career changing progress in financial equality seems like a n- next step. Yeah, so um, I'm actually on our Athlete Advisory Council, and that was one of the projects that I had taken on was equalizing our Olympic and Paralympic programs. Obviously, as a Paralympian, I was very, 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 very um, (laughs) invested in that, but we had so much support from our, our Olympians as well. I mean, they just thought it was absolutely ridiculous that we got a quarter of what they got because they saw the amount of effort and training and work and everything that went into those dreams and those medals. And so it was amazing as athletes to have this big group of support to take to the U.S. Olympic Committee and really fight for that equality. It's awesome that it, it was approved when it was. It, like Haley said, we did always feel like second-class athletes. And with these small changes, you know, equalizing the prize money and changing the name to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and changing to Olympic and Paralympic Day. Those, you know, those were two changes we didn't have to fight for as athletes. And that right there, like, I was so surprised how fast everybody's vocabularies changed. It was like overnight the U.S. Olympic Committee disappeared and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee showed up. And I was kind of skeptical because we did feel, you know, we – we would say, we always said we were the redheaded stepchildren of the Olympic movement because we were always kind of cast aside. And 
I was very skeptical when the name changed that anybody's vocabulary would truly change. And so when there was this like major transformation overnight, it really showed us as athletes that we are valued and um, what we bring to the movement is important. And it is, it is equal to what the Olympians bring to the movement. And that was just, that was just amazing to see and to feel just how much our value has changed in just, you know, a few short years. And for a long time, you never corrected anybody if they called you an Olympian because nobody knew what a Paralympian was. And there was kind of this weird connotation to Paralympian. Like, well, I mean, I'm like, you know, kind of good at sport, I guess, but I'm not an Olympian, which now like I'm proud to be a Paralympian. And that has like all come just by being recognized as equal. Alyssa, you said that like the name change kind of surprised you because it happened so quickly and our country doesn't normally like take that kind of progress so quickly. Right. So do you have a sense of like how it is with other countries? Is this now, you know, are we kind of on the forefront of this and hopefully setting an example or are we, were we playing like this drastic level of catch up in, in that respect? We're we're still, we're still playing catch up. (laughs) It was amazing to me. This is just one quick story that I remember. We were on, after like a 35-hour trip to Australia, we're on the airport shuttle to our hotel. I'm pretty sure Haley was with me too. This lady on the bus is like, oh my gosh, are you guys Paralympians? And we're like, yes. Thinking that she must be here for the race, right? There's This is the only possible explanation for why she knows about <laughs> Paralympics. And she just like starts naming like, all of these Australian athletes and their records and their medals. And like, you could tell like the whole vibe was just entirely different. Like their athletes were respected as strong athletes. Whereas in in the U S at the time, we're still seeing, you know, we're, and still a lot of times we're seen as like the feel good story at the end of the news. And so we are still playing catch up. And I think a lot of us have, you know, big hopes that things are improving now obviously the equal prize money the name changes all of that Um, but now it's like the visibility and getting the Paralympics on TV so the public can see what we do as athletes and um, NBC is slowly coming around um, but I think we're all very hopeful for those games in LA to really show our country like what we're made of as athletes and as competitors that we're not just the feel-good story and we're not what we overcame we were athletes and we're very good at what we do what about sponsors as the defending gold and silver medalists have you been able to form brand partnerships through this paralympic cycle yeah i mean to be honest this cycle has been pretty much pretty similar to the last one for me yeah i can't it's not necessarily the games like brought me a lot more in the way of sponsorship um you know of course i hope that that might change going forward but it's also not something that I'm pursuing like super actively. <laughs> I have to agree with Haley's hesitation. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it hasn't. Um, it's unfortunate. Again, it goes back to that sponsors still on the Paralympic side seem to be going after the feel good story, um, which can be frustrating as an athlete that is trying to support themselves doing sport um and you know make a living at the same time to I think it's very clear to accomplish the goals that we have and you know holding down a full-time job and 
trying to train and it's not ideal. And so um, I don't think there's really anybody on the U.S. team that is not working at at the highest level on the U.S. team that is not working and also racing um, because the sponsorship still seems to go to kind of those feel good stories. And it's not always based off of how good you are as an athlete there, you know, it's previous name recognition or, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm not a sponsor. I'm, I'm not, you know, picking it. But as an athlete, it, it hasn't really changed at all since 2016. Um, I'm really lucky to have one amazing sponsor, Live Bikes. But beyond that, it has been a huge challenge to engage with anyone else. Well, hopefully people listen to this. I think that is a travesty. And, you know, maybe the Alyssa and Haley Times 2 show can go big and brands will be like, call. we'll make sure we include all of your information so that uh, people can get in touch with you because this should not be happening like that. Yeah, it's still some progress that we have to make. And hopefully we'll kind of see that, you know, change in the future. It's always, people's reactions are always interesting, you know, because you can't imagine on the Olympic side, you know, the third or fourth ranked athlete in the country getting a sponsorship over like Simone Biles or Katie Ledecky or something like that. Um, So definitely still an area that I think the movement can improve on and hopefully with, you know, the name recognition and hopefully getting more of the public involved, we'll kind of see those changes over the years to come for the future generations. Well, thank you both for coming on this very special Iron Women podcast episode. When we heard that there was another Alyssa and Haley duo out there, we knew that we wanted to chat with you both about all of your experiences, the Paralympics, and um, everything that goes along with that, including getting us excited to hopefully cheer for you both at the 2021 Tokyo Paralympic Games next summer. So just um, as you leave us, let us know the best way for our listeners to follow your journey. Where can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at HailStormUSA, and I am on both Instagram and Facebook as Alyssa Seeley. We will definitely link to all of your accounts in our show notes and at ironwomenpodcast.com so that our listeners can follow you on that road to Tokyo. Thank you so much, Alyssa Seeley, Haley Dans, for coming on the show today, and best of luck. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Alyssa, Alyssa Gadeski, what do you think? Did we pull it off? The Alyssa and Haley and Alyssa and Haley show. Was it, was it a success? I need to hear your, what, you, what do you think? Haley, I think we did. I think we did a really good job. You and I, like, I mean, hopefully our listeners just didn't get massively confused through the entire thing, but I think it was pretty clear who was talking when, who was talking about what and things like that. And it's always just so much more fun to have another Haley and another Alyssa on the show. 
And now you and I can aspire to be gold and silver medalists in something someday so that we could somehow compare. But that was a fun show. Big thank you to Alyssa Seeley and Haley Dans for humoring us and coming on and sharing such insightful stories. I am really looking forward to those Tokyo 2021 Paralympics and cheering on Team USA, hopefully going for another sweep in that paratriathlon race. It, it's going to be so fun to watch, kind of now knowing so many of these paratriathletes and um, and them having more media exposure. I just, I'm excited about the sport. Yes, 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 yes. So thank you to Alyssa and Haley for coming on and chatting with us. We really enjoyed that. We hope you guys did too. Um, if you have a second to rate and review on the podcast app of your choice, that always helps us out. And we thank you for that. And until next week, Haley, I'll talk to you later. Enjoy the Adirondacks, Alyssa. Talk to you soon. Bye. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear, as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.